Today we'll be discussing the new Netflix docu-series, Wrestlers, and we'll be discussing seizures and pseudo-seizures. This is Doctor vs. Comedian. I'm Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic for medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Today, we'll be discussing the new Netflix documentary series, Wrestlers. And since a character in that series has what appears to be a seizure in one episode, apologies for the mild spoiler, we will be discussing seizures and pseudo-seizures in the second half of the episode. Ali, I think we should get right into it. We got a jam-packed episode today. Sound good? You don't want to talk about your rating system on spoilers? There are mild spoilers, medium, and extra spicy spoilers, which we don't do anymore. We don't do those. Uh, I mean, well, I never did. Uh, Asif, you've had had a change of heart on spoilers. No comment. So, Ali, I wanted to talk to you about this Netflix docu-series, Wrestles, and it is truly a documentary. That's the first thing. It's not a reality show. It's not a reality competition show. It is a documentary series. You actually texted me and said, hey, what about this as a topic? That's right. Uh, That's why when you say, I wanted to talk to you, I'm like, first of all, buddy, I told you about this. You want to talk to me. I want to talk to you. You want to talk to me? There's there's a... you talking to me about wrestling? The wrestling world has a lot of content coming out constantly. So I work hard to ignore most of it. Mm-hmm. But because this was a documentary and be- because I came across an article about it in the New York Times, that's what kind of like elevated this to something that stands apart. And mm-hmm. of course, when I asked you if you want to talk about anything relating to wrestling, you almost tripped over yourself to get to your... Microphone and headphones, I imagine. Well, I, I guess I did. I did want to talk about it uh, because I think this is a very interesting look into the world of wrestling. And, and, and by the way, Asif, before we get too nerdy into wrestling, and and people say, let me just skip to the medical part. If you're not interested in wrestling, let me just let me just preface all this by saying, I'm not that interested in wrestling either. I was. I grew up with it. I remember my my you know my youth was. Uh, a little bit of cooking shows, cartoons. This week in baseball was a show, a half-hour show, and then wrestling. And wrestling was every single Saturday, and I was obsessed with it. And I grew up with Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant and Junkyard Dog and so on and so forth. And then, you know, I, I kind of sort of grew out of it. I got back into it a little bit. My friend Manny was like, The Rock is this amazing character. And uh, Steve Austin and, this, and 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 that didn't last even even a year, as our listeners know. I'm I'm just not good at allowing too many new things into my life. I can't even I can make time for for the important things. So I'm not particularly into wrestling, and yet this documentary does have 
something of of, of great inter- interest to people who enjoy storytelling. It's not about the flash and the glam and the glamour of of wrestling. It is really not about that. It's really about an interesting story about what Asif just mentioned. This um this 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 very kind of rural grassroots league. Yeah, exactly. You know, a lot of people actually say that professional wrestling is one of the few American-made sports. It's an interesting way of looking at it or forms of entertainment. It's, it's truly American. But to get back to what you're saying, the documentary is made by this guy named Greg Whiteley. People may not know that name right away, but he's made a couple of documentary series on Netflix that have been quite popular. One is Last Chance You, which looked at kind of bottom-of-the-barrel Uh, college sports teams in the U.S. And the other one that was quite successful is one called Cheer that came out a couple years ago, which is about, again, college-level cheerleading teams. And again, you can see why he likes the underdogs. Part of it was underdog sports, and the cheer was like an often misunderstood or maligned, like cheerleading is a sport, right? But yet he's talking about how competitive these cheerleaders are. It's interesting because Cheer, you know, was talking about these kind of people who are, you know, not valued that much, even though they had a very good cheerleading team, because again, it's cheer compared to the other sports. But cheer did extremely well. It won a primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Unstructured Reality Program, won a directing award for Greg Whiteley, several other awards, Television Critics Association Award. And then everybody on this show became super famous. One person was on Dancing with the Stars. Of course, there was a sex scandal with sexual impropriety and with one of the coaches. I don't know about uh, the of words, course, of course, there. I'm not sure we have to say, of course, there was a sex scandal. But It seems was. that there always is when it comes down to these types of things, sadly. But the second season had to then reckon with the fact that these people from the first season were now famous, right? So I think he's moved away from cheer. And I think, I don't know if Greg Whiteley was a wrestling fan or not. I have a feeling he may not have been that big of a fan, but I think he somehow got attuned to this small wrestling promotion, Ohio Valley Wrestling, and said, I'm going to follow these guys around for about three months. And he's a very interesting documentarian. The New York Times article you mentioned is very good. And he basically says he used to be a Mormon. Uh, and he used to go spread the word of the Mormon church. And, you know, he'd knock on doors and he'd say, ah, can I speak to you for a few minutes about the Mormon church? People would slam the door in his face. But when he actually just listened instead of talking, people would disclose things. He said within 90 seconds of meeting them, they would disclose their secrets to them. And he's like, this is this is crazy. So he kind of, that kind of made him want to be a documentarian. And you'll see he does that as documentaries. He'll ask a question, someone will answer, and then he doesn't say anything. He pauses. And people who know me, and probably my patients as well, know that that's a hard thing for me to do. I always need to fill silence in a conversation, in a room. The hardest thing to do is just lay back right and let them and it's their people's facial expressions their mannerisms and then what they say after even a minute or two of of not of not talking it's a very interesting way he let's do it right now okay good you did good now in sales they say that uh whoever speaks first loses so in a way you could you could say you've been losing your entire life is that a good way to describe your life Yeah. yeah exactly yes exactly i know i've seen uh Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, always be closing. So as we were mentioning, this takes place in uh, a place called Ohio Valley Wrestling. Now, the odd thing about Ohio Valley Wrestling is, Ali. Not in Ohio. It's in Kentucky. 
so strange. I don't know, man. The U.S. geography is very, very odd. But yeah, it takes place in Kentucky. So Ohio Valley Wrestling was what we call like a feeder system or training system in the past to the WWE. And so, of course, the WWE is the main wrestling promotion, you know, international presence and everything. There's another one called AEW, which is also quite popular in the U.S., owned by a guy named Tony Khan, who is the son of Shad Khan, U.S. former Pakistani, you know, billionaire who owns the Jacksonville Jaguars, Fulham FC, etc. Former Pakistani? Can you ever be a former Pakistani? Well, I don't know. Are you allowed to hold dual citizenship? I didn't think you were. I mean, I'm still a Pakistani and I have, you know, been there. That's right. Yeah, he did immigrate from Pakistan to the U.S. But anyway, okay, we're getting sidetracked here. So OVW, again, is is where this documentary series takes place. So it used to be a feeder system for the WWE. So lots of stars who you have definitely heard of had come from this system. So John Cena, who's now a movie star. Dave Bautista, who is also now a movie star. Brock Lesnar, who became a UFC champion. And other people, including Randy Orton, The Miz, some of these other people who have a bit more prominence. The Big Show? The Big Show is from... The Big Show, yeah. So these people all came into prominence in the 2000s in Ohio Valley Wrestling. So one of the trainers there was a guy named Al Snow. So Al Snow was a wrestler, and then he kind of transitioned to training. He was a very good trainer. So he trained there for years. And then when the original owners of Ohio Valley Wrestling, this guy named Dangerous Danny Davis, decided to sell and get rid of it, Al Snow took it over. And can I just mention one thing about Al Snow? Some people might remember him as a wrestler, Originally, his his own wrestling story is very interesting, which, like you were talking about, Greg Whiteley, the director, knocking on doors and changing his tactic led him to want to be a documentarian. Al Snow was part of this duo and a storyline, and a character was kind of thrust upon him, which he did not like or care for. And he sort of fizzled out, and then he had this idea to become kind of an insane person. And in fact, <laughs> that might be a topic... For us, one day, he talks about, he read about personality disorders, and he read about transference disorder, where, and I don't know enough about it, but he was like, you're talking to a head, a disembodied head, and you're like, you think I'm crazy? You're crazy. You're a disembodied head. So he had this styrofoam head, and he would take it to lunch and to dinner and talk to it. And he went full in on his character. And because it's something he created himself, he saw his popularity just skyrocket, which I think is very, very interesting. When you create your own story, that kind of... So he he loves stories and that's his whole thing. He is manager, minority owner, but more than anything, he's chief storyteller in the OC. Correct. Yeah. And that's I a good way of putting it. Yeah, Exactly. And it's very interesting aside, which they don't talk about in the documentary. So they, in the height of the WWE, even now, you know, they make toys for kids and action figures. There was an action figure of Al Snow, this guy, and the head, this disembodied head, which is the mannequin head. And they sold it at like Walmart and Target. And one of those two stores, I can't remember which one, like pulled it off the shelves or Kmart or something back in the day. Because they're like, oh my God, this is a man walking around with a disembodied woman's head. This is, this is ridiculous. And they pulled it off the shelves. So it's a big controversy back in the day so that's his if one of only his they'd known he worshipped that head exactly it's all respect so he's the main character and it probably if you watch the series the most sympathetic character in the end he certainly has a way of doing things but i think he's a pretty reasonable person 
There's another big character on the show, a guy I never heard of before named Matt Jones. So Matt Jones, you don't listen to enough Kentucky talk radio. That's your problem. Asif. That's right. So I guess he is a big talk radio guy in Kentucky. He mainly talks about university of Kentucky sports and he's huge there. I guess I really didn't know this. He's a former lawyer. His mother was also a lawyer and he had, I don't really know why, but he had this desire to, you know, invest. He has this sports talk radio. He has a restaurant. He owns a bar or restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess he just wanted to do this. His reasons are he just wants to kind of promote this local, you know, Ohio Valley wrestling. Yeah. Not just promote it, but grow it, turn it into yes. something that it is very much not at the time of, you know, the beginning of this recording. And so again, it's very interesting reading some of these articles because this guy, Matt Jones, is keeping things afloat financially, but he obviously has his own vision of how things should work and that he kind of butts heads with Al Snow. And the fact that the documentary filmmakers could just be filming and realize like this is a conflict that's going on here, I thought it was very interesting. And so you have the money man versus the creative guy and what happens over time. Well, so I want to just jump in here with a point in this New York Times article that you mentioned they talk about this idea that this director, Whiteley, he's known for these, as you mentioned, Last Chance You, Cheer, and now wrestlers, all are notable for what they are not. They are not manipulative. They are not sensationalist. They're not opportunistic. I can agree with most of that. At some level, at least in the first episode, there was this level of like mild manipulation, if we're going to talk about mild spoilers, mild manipulation in the sense that you know, we're watching something, it's packaged and edited in a certain way. There's music playing that's meant to sort of draw us into certain, and it was this weird meta feeling about wrestling is this sort of fake manipulative thing. You tell these stories to get people to have a reaction. You've got the heel, these, these dislikable characters, likable characters. And then I'm watching a show that in itself is also creating this desire in me to like certain characters and not, as you say, you know, Al Snow and Matt, this investor are, you know, they have their clash. So it's this weird meta thing that I was experiencing and I didn't quite buy it for a little bit. And I'm very happy I stuck with it. I, I watched uh, to the end of the third episode and I no longer feel that way. I am now appreciating and respecting the storytelling that that Greg Whiteley is is known for. But there was this weird feeling out of the gate. Yeah, it's an interesting point, and wrestling is a very unusual thing. Basically, the wrestlers know that it's fake and predetermined. The audience also knows that. Well, I'll get to that in a second, but in general, the audience also knows that. But there's an agreement that we're not, we're going to both agree that this is fake for the enjoyment of what's going on. But that's also what you do when you watch a movie too. Nobody well, thinks- Well, this is, this is the know. whole thing. And this is where sort of Manny, my friend Manny opened my mind to this when I was saying that, you know, well, this is the fakeness of wrestling and- he goes, well, what do you think? Because this is, this is the time of 90210 and Melrose Place and it's like- those are just a room of writers who created fictitious stories and characters that people are playing. That's what wrestling is. It's the same soap operas and stories and characters that people are playing. And I just, I was just like mind blown. Can't believe it. That's exactly what it is. 
And of course, every documentarian has their own viewpoint, right? Documentaries are made, they say, in the editing room. So what you choose to include, what you don't, the little side glances, even the interstitials that you film, you know, they'll be filming somebody, then they film like the dirty cups and discarded junk food in their floor of their car, right? You're saying something by filming that and by putting it in right there. So it is, but like I said before, this is not a reality show with, I don't feel with stage confrontations. And, and Al Snow in interviews has been very clear. Like this is not a reality show. It's not a competition show. This is not the Real Housewives. This is like, this is what we do every day. And it just films. And you, and you can tell that because in subsequent episodes, again, I won't spoil this for people, there are things that happen that they purposely did not want filmed. And they clearly told the filmmakers to not film what was going on or to, you know, stop filming. And it's only talked about indirectly in terms of what happened, but there's some serious things that happened, which they did not film. And if it was staged, they would like, yeah, let's film this kind of confrontation between two people, but they, they didn't. What so, a spoiler. Now I know that there's confrontation between people. No. <laughs> yeah. So overall, I do think this is worth checking out, especially if people are fans of these other Netflix documentary series. I think people will find it interesting. It's a very interesting viewpoint into this world. I don't know if it will make people like wrestling or not. Honestly, it, it might not. I, I don't know if it's even about that. You know, I think it is that underdog story that so many people love and you get to meet the spouses of some of these wrestlers and find out about their true lives and the sacrifice. And there's, there's a real sadness about it sometimes too, you know, which I think is a beautiful element of this storytelling. One of their outdoor events it had some real Nacho Libre vibes. Nacho Libre, of course, one of the greatest wrestling films ever made of all time. I would be remiss not to mention Jack Black's Nacho Libre, but there's a scene early in Nacho Libre when, when you know, Jack Black's character Ignacio first starts fighting and he's in this ring outside and there's only like a, you know, a few dozen people outside and he's like, you know, it's a famous like, uh, save me a piece of that corn. Send me a piece of that corn. He's just yelling to like this disparate group of people. And I couldn't help but think of that in one of their outdoor events. I mean, these guys come out in full. One guy's got like black angel wings on another guy. I mean, they've done the makeup. They're deep in character to come out only for like 75 people is a sadness there. And to make things worse, one of the wrestlers, his name is Cashflow. Cashflow was from there. Like when they're introducing, they go, and Hillsdale's own Cashflow is here. And it's like mild clapping. Man, these guys have sacrificed so much of their life and their physical bodies. And they do it every night, night after night, just for such few people. I mean, I, my heart went out of the, to, to the, and, and for me, that's like not about wrestling anymore. That's about just sort of what people sacrifice for their dreams. I mean, poor cash flow at the end, his final words that night. Thank you so much. We're going to keep doing what we do. We give it a hundred percent here and listen, have a great night. They've got good pork chops at the concession stand. I was like, what the? That's the way you're going to, it's comedic and, and not for the right reasons. I mean, it's truly quite sad, but that's what makes it such a great watchable product at the same time. Well, maybe we'll finish on this. First of all, I want to agree with you. I do think there's this undercurrent of sadness through this whole thing. And I think Greg Whiteley realizes this and, and capitalizes on this. Again, these are people, they're hoping that they'll get a big break with one of these huge companies, right? And then go to being like making a great living and touring around the country and around the There's world. part that there's also like, 
I've been doing this for 20 years. What else am I qualified to do? Right, exactly. What else do I do in this world? It's been all wrestling. And that life of just performing for a handful of people. But again, I saw the similarities between this comedy, music, right? This is like, not like, oh, I want to get into acting and I'm going to go down to Hollywood and whatever, though that is sometimes very difficult for people as well, obviously. But for you, like there are people who just keep grinding away and just do small shows with a handful of people, right? In comedy. Yeah, 100%. Comedy is this great thing too, where just as you think you might start to get a little bit of confidence and what is this? I feel my ego. Comedy has a way of just shrinking that right down and i and i think it's a similar thing you know you what you have a pay-per-view televised wrestling event on saturday and then monday you're in this rural town where people they're really just there for the hot dogs and Mm -hmm. you're beside yeah i i can't believe the dedication that these guys have it was unbelievable and they do make some comments in in some of the early episodes about these small towns in appalachia and how they've been decimated. They used to be coal towns. We've talked about this before in other episodes, especially when it comes to the opioid crisis, which also affected a lot of these areas. But coal towns, that industry goes down. People leave the town. There's unemployment. There's nothing to really do. And part of it, what this guy Matt Jones wanted to do is bring this entertainment to these various towns, as you, as you were mentioning. But there is this sadness, not just with the wrestlers, but in just the environment of being in these small towns in Kentucky. Overall, I do think this is one of my only negatives of the show is that sometimes I do feel they're laughing a bit at the fans or like there is a sense of, oh, can you believe these Kentucky rural people are into this? And and, and like, you know, when they're saying, I can't wait to see this wrestler, this wrestler, I think most of them know the scoop i don't think a lot of them think that uh, that wrestling is real or anything like that but i do find that there is maybe a bit of i don't know if it's making fun or, or that's on the judging. wrestlers or that's on the director in your that's mind. on the director i think there's a little bit of that i will also say documentary is filmed extremely well and it makes the wrestling scenes way better than they probably are in real life because of the way they edit it the shots they use and the music as Ollie said that they put in they're they're using some emotional manipulation with some of the music in a good way which you just wouldn't have in a normal wrestling match if you're just watching a bunch of people and you're in the audience so i think that's that's really commendable is the way it's filmed mm. a lot of money spent on some of that music Come Sail mm-hmm. Away by Styx. Oh, can't. yeah. Final note on this. Haley J is a performer we don't mention. She's mentioned in that New York Times article. I just said performer, wrestler, but I kind of mean performer. That was a slip, but but uh, probably for a good reason. Very, very interesting. If If you're interested in acting, you have a certain emotion that you come to work with because you were in traffic or your parents or children were rude to you or something. And, and every in acting, they say, use it, use it, use that for this scene, use that for your character. And Haley J is like the epitome of a use it, the life that she's had and how she turns that into her performance a very incredibly watchable. Let me just say that really, really enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, Haley J is a star Easily, it's easy to see. She's only 21. A bit of a problematic figure as the documentary series goes on. And so I don't know. But she did have a tryout, I think, last week with the WWE. And there were some uh, medical issues. So they kind of, like, said whatever that was, kind of 
address that and come back. So, but she's clearly a star. And I will, again, I'll end it on this. I suggest people check out the first episode to see if they like it because there's one scene in the first episode where she's just kind of playing around the wrestling mat with her son. And he's like, obviously his mom's a wrestler and is actually his grandmother is a wrestler. You'll, you'll find that out in the show. And he's like pretending to like wrestle her and she's falling down. Like it really hurts and like grimacing, like it really hurts. And then he leaves. And then for about 30 seconds to a minute, it's just her in a ring by herself pretending to be assaulted by an invisible opponent and her falling down, getting backed into the corner, grimacing again, wailing in pain. And then you realize this is like acting. It's like a talent to do this because you watch her. You're like, oh, it looks like someone's actually beating you up, but there's nobody else there. That is kind of the skill level involved in these performers. And so I was just, just check that out, watch that, and see if you appreciate that anymore. See if you like it. Very, very curious to see what people's thoughts are. All right. So from this documentary, there's probably a half dozen different medical conditions we could have spoken about. Especially when you look at this wrestler cash flow and the type of death matches he was in, we could talk about dangers of putting staples in your skull and what is the long-term effect of that. But what we're focusing on because of a, a something that happens in third episode to a particular character is seizures. Now, we have talked about epileptic seizures before. This is clearly something else. And I was quite curious about this because... You also mentioned the word pseudo-seizure. So I wanted to know right out of the gate, so I wanted you to remind us you know, what a seizure is and how the epileptic seizure is different from other types of seizures. Yeah. So just as a reminder, as you said, a seizure is uncontrolled electrical activity that happens in the brain. And because of that, you'll have some effect on your body, whether having abnormal sensations, abnormal feelings. You guys remember, those of you who grew up in Canada, there was a famous Canada history minute on TV where someone would smell burnt toast because it was talking about the history of neurosurgery and epilepsy surgery in Canada. And so that person would smell burnt toast and that's how they knew they were about to have their seizure. So you could have that. And then of course you have the typical whole body shaking, right? And if you have more than one unprovoked seizure, that's what epilepsy is. I see. So this person could very well have epilepsy. We don't know so about the their... person has said that they have epilepsy. I didn't course... get to that part. Okay. Sorry. No, that was not in the show. It's in the press. This person has talked about Oh, okay. Before. Okay. So, yeah, it's a bit tough because it's, you know, people kind of like scramble in the show to kind of help this person out. I don't know if you got to that part where, you know, they're having this event and people are like scrambling to help out. Yeah, yeah. Putting a, a water bottle on the back of his neck. I couldn't help but think that might not be the way you treat epileptic seizures. But anyway, yeah. yes. Uh oh, I, I we just revealed it was a uh, it was someone who identifies as male as the uh, <laughs> as the person who this happens to. Mm. So that's okay. So yeah, okay. Let's maybe just go over first aid for seizures, just so we're all clear. If someone has a seizure, you don't want to put anything in their mouth. Right. So people think, oh, they're gonna swallow their tongue. That's not gonna happen. In fact, if you if someone's having a full body seizure with shaking, they often bite down. 
So if you put something in their mouth, like your fingers, you can get your fingers bitten off, right? So we got to be a bit careful about that. So you want to lie them down, often on their side, because some people can vomit afterwards. And of course, if you inhale the vomit, that could be not very good for you. And you just don't restrict their movement and you let them have the seizure. You don't try and hold them down. You don't do anything. Just let them have the seizure. And you keep an eye, obviously, on the time. And, you know, of course, if you're seeing this. What are you watching for? What do you mean by keep an eye on the time? What does that mean? So brief seizures in and of themselves aren't dangerous. Okay. So a seizure lasting a few minutes is not going to cause any brain injury. But there's this idea of something called status epilepticus, where if you have a prolonged seizure that lasts 30 minutes or longer, you can imagine how stressful that would be, continuous body stiffening, shaking for like 30 minutes or longer, that can actually begin to cause brain damage. So we used to be like, the definition of status epilepticus used to be 30 minutes, and that's because that's when brain injury is hypothesized to occur. But the problem is it, it didn't stress the urgency of stopping the seizure as soon as possible. So now we say it's more like five minutes is when you should intervene and do something. So some people have medicine that you can give to them. Actually, like an Ativan, Ativan that people take for anxiety or before plane rides, that also works to stop seizures. So some of those can be given, like you give it into their cheek, like open their cheek like a pocket, put it and it gets absorbed. And that can sometimes be used to kind of stop a seizure. Certainly if a seizure is going on more than several minutes, you need to call 911. And probably you would do that the first time it happened to anybody. But someone who, with known epilepsy, you don't necessarily have to call 911 all the time. But if it goes on longer, you want to call 911 because you don't want to let it get to 30 minutes, right? Why would you let it get so far that someone's getting brain injury, right? And so, then you make the call to ambulance. Yeah, it doesn't make, yeah, yeah, it doesn't make sense, right? So you want it to not even get close to that. So you need time for the ambulance to come. Some EMS or ambulance attendants have the ability to give medicines for a seizure. So they could obviously try and abort it early on. This particular person, like everyone in the show, is dealing with a certain level of stress, personal issues and financial issues. And there's a stress underlying everybody's life in this. Is a seizure, and he has, he has said that he is epileptic in the press, he said, is a seizure, can it be stress-induced? So that's we don't things... know coming up. No, 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 no. no. Oh, we, we do know. We do know. No, I'm gonna, I was going to say that's where this is a bit of an unusual situation because in the show there is a heated conversation and someone asks this person a pointed question and then there's a pause and the camera pans over and the person's having a seizure, right? Mainly on the left side of their face and they're unresponsive kind of during it. But stress in a stressful situation causing a seizure, that would be very, very unusual. That is not typically what happens. Indirectly, stress can cause a seizure in that we know that poor sleep, if you have epilepsy and you're getting poor sleep or you're sleep deprived, that can cause a seizure. So if I'm having a lot of stress in my life, maybe I'm not sleeping that well, that indirectly, like the next day, I might have a seizure because of that, right? But it's not a, the stressful event happening in the moment. Sure. Causing it? That's not well, really okay. very typical. But, but in that person's defense, they are stressed constantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it yeah. wasn't just the conversation that maybe led to yeah, and it. That's true. And to be clear, it wasn't like he had already expressed. He was sort of getting some, some, some issues off his chest. He had expressed them all. They were done. He had put the final period on the point. Is that the right term? Anyway, he, had, he was done. 
and then started having the seizure. So I wouldn't say like it was um, him trying to get out of anything or something. His point had been made. But you have mentioned in our intro this idea of a pseudo seizure. Now, in you're talking about, you're doing your own sort of medical analysis of this seizure. Do you feel like this? <laughs> yeah. So let, let's, let's, yeah. I, I, I'm not saying that this- What are you saying and has, what are you not saying? That's what, what I want to know. Has pseudo seizure. So I'm not saying that. Well, I'm just saying it is interesting. It occurred during this stressful event, but- Yes. Okay. That's why don't I explain what pseudo seizures are? I, I will. Let me just also tell people, if this seizure was fake- it might be the best acting I've ever seen. Okay. Better okay, than so, any wrestler I've ever seen. And so I've this seen. is very different. We talked about wrestling being fake versus real. You know, wrestlers don't like people calling it fake because they really get injured and et cetera. Yes. These are not fake seizures. Okay. Okay. These okay. Good. Good These are in the same family of what we talked about maybe uh, last year, the year before on the podcast, which is conversion disorder, also called functional neurologic disorders. So we talked about functional tics in the past, which we saw with the prevalence of TikTok, and we talk about conversion disorder where people suddenly cannot walk or have other neurologic deficits, but it's not due to a problem in their brain, spinal cord, nerves, muscles, etc. Okay? So this is another manifestation of that. So pseudo-seizures, they're actually trying to move away from that term, so people will probably get upset that I use that term in the intro. Other names are psychogenic seizures, hysterical seizures. Probably. Oh, God, that's way yeah. worse. Yeah, let's move away from those. So now we're calling these either psychogenic non-epileptic spells, psychogenic <laughs> non-epileptic attacks or episodes. Some people call them psychogenic non-epileptic seizures, but even then we try and maybe not use the word seizure because – they're not seizures. We said seizures is uncontrolled electrical activity that's happening in the brain. That's not necessarily what, what these are. But you can think of these as a manifestation of conversion disorder. What does psychogenic mean, by the way? Why are we psychogenic using... means psychologically kind of induced. So in other words, we don't think this is because of abnormal firing of neurons in the brain, but just like someone with the conversion disorder or functional disorder may not be able to walk or may have like tics or Tourette syndrome, which is appearing out of nowhere. But instead of it being due to an abnormality in the brain itself, it's due to what we presume is underlying stress, anxiety, manifesting as these. Okay. You named four things which we shouldn't call it anymore and five things that we might call it. What are we calling pseudo-seizures? So I call them in... In my clinical practice, I call them psychogenic non-epileptic episodes or events. Perfect. Really super easy to remember. So we, uh, <laughs> These events, how are they diagnosed? How do we find out that they are indeed those events and not something else? Yeah. So this is where it becomes somewhat difficult because... The best test to do is to have someone hooked up to an EEG. So an EEG is an electroencephalogram where you connect wires to someone's brain and we record the electrical potentials. If you're having a seizure during that, then we can tell and we can determine if something is an epileptic seizure or one of these non-epileptic events, psychogenic non-epileptic events. The problem is, what if you're having a seizure once every month or an event every, once every month? You're not going to come into the hospital and be hooked up for like a month, right? So that makes it difficult. But there are things that we as neurologists know when we're 
observing a seizure. And now one of the best things about cell phones is the fact that everybody has a camera on them, right? So before you just get a description, you're like, oh, I'm not sure what's going on. And now you can just tell people to take a video and send us the video. And and neurologists are pretty good, not 100%, but pretty good at determining it. So some of the things we see, let's just talk about full body seizures when they're occurring, right? So the things that would make you think it's it's a non-epileptic event, as we say, or non-epileptic spell, non-epileptic seizure in quotation marks, is you know you come in and out of consciousness during that shouldn't, or, or you're partially responsive during a seizure. That's unusual for again a full body shaking seizure. This also, this particular character was it was mostly the face. That's right. That's you right. Could not really describe him as responsive. He was unresponsive, correct, and the, but this would be more of a focal seizure involving just one part of the brain. So we call that a focal seizure with impaired awareness or a focal seizure with discognitive effects, right? Because he's not with it, but it's happening in one part because there's really the left side of the face. So, But if you think about the ones that are happening the whole body at once, usually what happens with the seizure is you have stiffening and then you'll have some jerking of your of your body. But it's not kind of flailing movements through your body going elsewhere. Pelvic thrusting, like moving your pelvis up and down, is a common thing in non-epileptic events, but it doesn't occur in seizures. Side-to-side head shaking does not occur in, in true seizures. And your eyes are usually open during a seizure not closed. So people who have their eyes closed, especially if they're really shut tightly and you can't open them, that would be a non-epileptic event. And usually your mouth is open actually during a seizure. So if your mouth is clenched tightly, it's a bit unusual, not impossible, but a bit unusual. This is a lot to remember. Again, this is why this is what we do in neurology. Right? We're we're pretty good at differentiating these things. The other thing to remember is after a seizure, you're usually quite tired afterwards and if you're just kind of back to normal right afterwards, that'd be very unusual. Again, there's always exceptions. There are some rare seizures which can have different manifestations, but in general. So have we gotten to the bottom of what the cause is of these seizures? Well, again, it's presumed that there is some sort of psychologic stress, anxiety. That's not in all the cases. What becomes confusing is some patients will also have epilepsy who also have these non-epileptic events. That could be very difficult to kind of figure out. In one case, they found that patients with non-epileptic events, 22% of them also had epilepsy. So now you have to say, okay, be worried about this event, but not this one. This one we're going to treat with medicine. This one we're not. It can become very complicated for the neurologist. But there have been many reports over time that suggest that psychological trauma is very frequent in patients with this. Who It could be a current psychological trauma or a past history of psychological trauma. So in some studies, it varied between 21% to 100% of patients had psychological trauma in the past. And often that is sexual or physical abuse. And that ranges again from like 3.5% to 74%, depending on the study you read. Interestingly, there's a stronger association between a history of psychological trauma and these seizures or these non-epileptic events in Western countries compared to South America and Asia. So again, I'm not sure of the reasons for that, but there has been noticed this difference across the world. So in other words, it's very important when you see someone with this to ask and try and inquire about whether there's been any psychological trauma, sexual or physical abuse in the past, because that could be an underlying 
provoking factor. Hmm. And not you, uh, innocent bystander. No, I meant I meant a medical uh, practitioner. Yes, exactly. Or psychologist. Yeah. This particular character in the show, he's still sort of kind of grumbling incoherently once his 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 spell or his seizure is over. He sits for a little bit of time, less than a minute, and then is is up, slightly groggy, but is adamant about driving himself home. Nobody's on board with that, of course, but he is he's prepared to drive himself home. What do you make of that? Yeah, that's quite unusual. Because in almost every jurisdiction, at least in North America, if you have epileptic seizures, you can't drive. And some places actually even talk about non-epileptic events, you We're can't not, drive. But either. this is not a jurisdictional question. This is more about a physical, like, what do you make of the fact that he was well, ready? Okay, well, first of all, he visit. can't do that. Okay. Well, that's a, yeah, okay, legally but, he cannot. No, but, okay. Well, I guess so, what I'm really asking is like, what is what do you make of that? Is that does that suggest that it's not an epileptic? Well, symptom? so again, this person has gone on the record previously to say that they have a mild form of epilepsy, often induced by anxiety. They've said that in the press. Okay, earlier on the episode, you see the person get out of their car because they're going on a date with a fancy restaurant, and I rewatch it to make sure I was correct. Driving the car, pulls up, gives the keys to the valet at the fancy restaurant that they go to. So if you have epilepsy that's uncontrolled, like you're still having seizures, not controlled with medicine, you cannot drive. Your doctor would have to report you to the local authorities. I mean, this and is a separate to- discussion here. I mean, you know, this is going to blow your mind, Asif, but sometimes people drive without a license. You know, drinking and driving, not allowed. Sometimes people will have a few drinks and still drive. I mean, these are things that, you know... I know it's wild, I mean, but these things I guess happen. So, so this guy this may person, not have a license and still be I mean, giving his. I guess so. They're doing it on like <laughs> a TV show yeah. that is broadcast around the world. And I checked in Kentucky; they do have the, these rules. So, if you're saying, I'm putting words in your mouth, if you're saying this m- perhaps makes it more likely that these are psychogenic, non-epileptic events because he's still driving around the place. That is an interesting point to make. <laughs> I don't really know what to say. Gosh, Again, you took the non-words out of my not yeah, I mean, so I think there are enough things with this story that make me question whether these are epileptic seizures or not. I certainly don't know enough about this person to make any judgments, but I certainly you shouldn't probably be driving either way, though. So I don't know. Their physician report them. Did they not? Maybe this was the first episode they had in years and right after this their driver's license was taken away right like we don't know because it's a we're not around and the documentarian didn't necessarily include that they just included this episode and left it alone so i don't know but i thought it was interesting enough that we should probably uh, have a little conversation about it so the short story with these is sometimes you could have epileptic seizures sometimes you can have these non-epileptic events they can be difficult to differentiate, especially for the average person and even sometimes for neurologists. So again, there's testing you can do, but sometimes just a video and the appearance. And that's why I tell families, usually I can tell just by looking at a video or seeing it in front of me what it is, but sometimes you can't and sometimes you need to do further testing. And once that testing reveals, let's say that you are having quote unquote pseudo seizures or these spells, what is the treatment for that? So, yeah, good question. So the treatment is different, right? You don't prescribe anti-seizure medications. You prescribe therapy, like psychological therapy. Not a lot of medications work. So, in other words, taking like 
psychiatric medications like a SSRI or something like that don't don't really help. It's more just psychological therapy and looking at the underpinnings for what might be causing this. And hopefully that can help to improve the symptoms over time. that's our episode for today let us know what you guys thought very curious if you guys end up watching wrestlers if you guys like it i would say you know give one episode or two a chance see if it's something that interests you and like i said if you make it to the third episode then you'll see this event occur uh, whether it's a seizure or not yeah i think here's who's going to enjoy this documentary okay people who like documentaries people who like acting or performance people who like storytelling and people who like the line that corn out of my face a little uh tease for you guys inside wrestling inside wrestling movie baseball yeah and and, uh, people who like these underdogs because this is a very very underdog group of people and so if you like that then definitely check it out let us know what you guys thought as well about there's many things to talk about with seizures epilepsy so i'm curious if you what you guys thought of that section of our episode today and if there's any other thoughts you guys have reach out to us dr v comedian at gmail.com dr v comedian on twitter facebook instagram etc but before we go remember that although i'm a doctor i'm not your doctor i'm not ollie's doctor and i'm not this mysterious person on this tv show's doctor medical issues we talk about are for your interest and information only and they're not medical advice please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice thanks for listening bye, bye.